Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach, brought to you by the TeacherCast Educational Network. If you are in charge of professional development and looking to build an innovative digital learning experience, this is the podcast for you. Join us each week as we uncover strategies that tech coaches are using to drive their digital transformations one classroom at a time. And now for your host, with over two decades of experience working with tech coaches and edtech companies from all around the world, Jeff Bradbury. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is Ask the Tech Coach podcast, episode number 245, and today wraps up really what is going to ultimately become the second unit of this amazing educational book that I'm in the middle of writing, talking all about how we create a digital learning curriculum. How do you build that into a scope and sequence? How do you vertically align your digital learning skills against and up against your core curriculum? And today we're gonna be wrapping it up. I have a very exciting and special guest today to talk all about curriculum mapping. No, seriously, we're gonna talk a little bit about how curriculum mapping works and really try to figure out why it's important to be putting digital learning skills into your curriculum maps. I remember being a young teacher and being asked to do curriculum maps and, you know, not the easiest thing to do, not the most, you know, simplest thing to put together when you're an orchestra teacher trying to figure out, you know, look, the concert's in three weeks. That's the goal. Why are we talking about this stuff? But I honestly believe after all this time, curriculum maps are important. They're exciting. And you can bring your curriculum maps to that next level. Don't forget that we've got some great stuff happening over on askthetechcoach.com. Not only are we doing our show each and every week, you can try out all of our blog posts, sign up for our free newsletter. And at the bottom of askthetechcoach.com, don't forget to join our instructional coaches group had a lot of great conversations on the last couple days all about these very topics hope you guys had a chance to check it out it has been great to get to know all of our instructional coaches our instructional coach for today my co-host is hailing from the great state of florida and i am so happy to call her a good friend we had a chance over the last few months to check out each other over in the great state of atlanta when we got together for a fantastic little microsoft event want to bring on today miss amber hinkle amber how are you today welcome to ask the tech coach great thanks for having me thank you so much for being here i'm excited to have you on the show we've been working together over the last couple days on on a variety of projects and i'm so happy that you said yes to being on the show today but for anybody who hasn't uh you know check out the show notes over at episode 245 who is amber hinkle well, I have been teaching for almost 18 years, and I am a dig- I'm currently a digital innovation specialist, an MIE expert, an Adobe leader, and um, yeah, love all things ed tech. Now, what got you into being a coach? Why did you take that jump from the classroom to the coaching room? <laughs> I, it wasn't really a jump. It was more of a shove. <laughs> um, I wasn't, I wasn't a hundred percent on leaving the classroom cause it's a fun place to be, but I really am passionate about sharing the joy of digital tools. And I mean, if it can make your life easier, if it can be more engaging for the students. And I was hoping that, you know, in this role, I would be able to spread that, that knowledge and, help others implementing it in their lessons a little bit more than I could at just my single school. So. And, and how long have you been a coach for? 
Um, three years. Tell me a little bit about that first year. We do a lot of talking on the show about, you know, getting getting your feet wet, getting that first coaching job. How have things changed from that first year to now your third year? Well, does 2020 count for anyone? I, that, that, that didn't it really exist? Yeah, no. No. So that was my first year. Everything was virtual. It was really, really hard because talk about building relationships. I think that one of the things that saved me and had people feel comfortable with me was how I was just giving out anything and everything for free. And at that point in time, like you wouldn't even have to ask for it and you'd find it in your inbox. And at that point in time, everybody was drowning and looking for life preservers in the form of assistance and how to use ed tech tools. So I think that through overexposing all of the things that we were sharing out, I was able to build some of those relationships, but man, that, that first year was so rough because everything was virtual and it's just not the same. And especially when you're trying to integrate ed tech tools, when you can't be there to handhold with, you know, certain groups of students, adults, it can be really tough. And what has changed other than the we're no longer pandemic E, but you know, what has changed for you? Obviously you have a couple of years under your belt. You're, you're now more comfortable with your staff. Like how are things this year? What are you looking forward to for, you know, even for next year and beyond? Um, well, we've started to look at how we coach differently with most of the focus being on content areas, let's be honest. And I'm more, again, I'm a digital innovation specialist, so I'm tech tools integrated into instruction. But I have looked at how I work with individual teachers differently. And then the other thing that I have really been working about growing and I've I've loved it. I've been changing how I, how I collect feedback. And I just feel as if it's been helpful because when people aren't able to follow through with the things that we've talked about or the things that we've worked on through the feedback that we've been doing, I, it gives me more of an opportunity and more of a reason to schedule that follow-up to go back and help them until they do become proficient or understand whatever we've worked on. What kind of a feedback are we looking at? A, a form, a, a, a pat on the back? Like, what does that look like? And when do you, when do you ask for it? I ask for it two weeks after. So you've, you've had time, right? And it's a branched form. So, you know, it goes as far as you want it to go. You know, and if you do get to a point where I haven't done this, what are some barriers? And then I have some options of what I can do for you to help break down those barriers that you get stuck with. And it's been helpful. We, I've got to go back to some of the schools that I normally wouldn't get to go around back to because we are a small team but with that feedback it's it's giving me that oh i need to go back here to this school and do this with them again because this is their only barrier and we want to break that down right so we want them to be successful that is a great story now you said we how many other uh, how big is your team let's put it that way well it's two for now but it's going to be one next year And, and so that obviously comes up with a lot of challenges, right? One on multiple buildings. I know you've got a few that you work with. Uh, what advice do you have for coaches out there who might be outnumbered uh, coach per building ratio? 
I love to build a team of the coalition of the willing. And I mean, it's not new thought. It's train the trainers and get those people going and have them spread the word. I don't, I don't need to be the one to help with strategies. I don't need to be the one to offer the feedback. You know, sometimes when someone says that they just need someone to hold their hand, I have that coalition of people at the different buildings that I can say, Hey, um, I worked with this teacher last week. She really wants to do this, but she just wants someone to like hold her hand. Can you go help her during your planning today? Or can you schedule a time with her? So I really like to utilize leverage those relationships and, um, again, go with the coalition of the willing. Cause once I've, I've worked with them and they're comfortable and they're using it and they know it, then they get to be that go-to person if needed at a building. I love that philosophy. I love that strategy. It's one that we talk about here. You know, we talk a lot about the innovation curve on the left of the innovation curve is all your generals, those first responders, your coalition of the willing, if you will, making sure that you find those people to help bring the group together. And if you can do that, I think you've got something going on here. And the question that we're trying to figure out over the last few weeks is how do we build that positive culture, that culture that when you walk into a class and you work with somebody, not only are you coming at them from the curriculum end, but you're also supporting those digital learning standards, the ISTE standards for students, for teachers, for coaches. Um, you, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, are an ISTE certified uh, educator? Is that is that the right term? Are we there yet? Yes, I just made it a couple Congratulations. months. Congratulations! And, and and as somebody who's still, I hate to say, working through that process, um, what's that like? Oh my goodness. It was a process for us. I was supposed to turn it in around Ian, actually. And if you don't know, Florida was impacted greatly by that. So I had to reach out and ask for a little bit of an extension, but you know, they're great with that. And yeah, it was just rough. And, you know, to be honest with you, I didn't pass my first time, hundred percent honesty here. And I reached out to a coworker of mine and she really coached me through the process and was like, I didn't end up changing my artifacts. I changed how I shared the information. I made sure to double down on that ISTE vocabulary. I made sure to put the arrows and the captions and all of the things. And again, this was through coaching. I didn't come up with that myself. Like I said, I failed the first time, but the last time I, I scored a 92, maybe so congratulations. She did a good job. Yeah, it was a lot of work, but it was so great. And um, one of the things actually that definitely transformed my practice was that the follow-up feedback. I got that from working through my ISTE portfolio because when I was working on a criteria that related to that, I was like, how can I do better? Right. And that is actually one of the practices that I transformed in working through my ISTE portfolio. If you have any questions about ISTE certification, you know, I, I'm still working through it. I, I took the courses in December. Technically, I have until August. So, you know, I'm going through it. I'm sure other coaches out there in our instructional coaching network have gone through it. This is an amazing 
program, a great opportunity. Of course, you can find more information over at ISD.org. And of course, if you're going to the conference this summer, would love to see you. Now, Amber, you and I started to talk a little bit about a project that you recently took on at your school, which was taking all of your curriculum and writing curriculum maps. Now, that is a familiar term to some, might be a little foreign to others, but just so we can set the scene and talk about this in a, like a general way, what is a curriculum map? Well, curriculum map, in my mind, is a way to organize the flow of instruction that students are going to provide that are definitely aligned to your standards and what you need to teach. So that's a curriculum map to me, organizing everything in the manner that makes sense to how it should be taught for students, right? Uh, now, cor- correct me here, and, and you know, in our last episode, we talked about vertical alignment, trying to make sure that the elementary has certain skills, so that way in the middle schools you can start to hone them, and that way in the high schools now you're really using the subject to become the skill, meaning you know, like you're using English to become a writer, not using a Google Doc to learn nouns, as an right. example, right? So there's a there's a pattern here. We also, two weeks ago, in episode 243, if I, my math is right, talked a lot about scope and sequence. And that's where you break down all of these digital learning skills and you figure out, well, I want to introduce this in third grade because I need to use it in fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And I, I kind of shared the idea of, you know, being a music teacher, if you want somebody to play in a pit band in high school they need to know how to do their notes and their rhythms and their fingers and their you know the posture and all that stuff in the elementary grade so how do we introduce how do we maintain how do we excite and then how do we you know support students as they grow and produce am i correct in thinking that a curriculum map yes it does happen throughout k-12 but most curriculum maps that I'm looking at are really those horizontal things like in this year, this is what we're doing or in this month or in this unit. It's more of a horizontal thing, not necessarily a vertical thing because you can have multiple curriculum maps for one sequence. Right. Got it. Yeah. Ours is a little unique just because it is our instructional resource. Curriculum map was the one that I I got to work on with the team and it is all about vertical alignment, you know, very thoughtful in the products that the product tools at tech tools that we introduce at different grade levels. And this is K five. This is a K five curriculum map. How can we build on what we introduce in kinder to work on first work all the way through fifth, because our district is very big on those industry certifications. So we are very mindful of the products that we put, in our curriculum map to build on those tech skills because, you know, we want to build towards those industry certs once they get to secondary. So we're not going, you know, there's lots of programs that do lots of things, but we're going to stick with these ones because again, in post-secondary, when they're taking those CTE courses and those industry certification test exams, these courses are going to give them the background that they need to be successful later on. And they also meet the targets of our instruction at the elementary level. So it, it's a win-win for everybody. If I can ask the chicken and the egg question, does the lesson plan come first or does the curriculum map come first? Or do these things kind of get born together? You know, who knows, who knows which one comes first, but in, in our world, 
and we've always done the curriculum map first okay. and then the lessons springboard off of this because, oh, these are the tools that we really want to use. Here's all of the different ways that we could integrate them into the curriculum with, you know, the content standards. These are the projects that we could work on. So that's how it's always flowed for us. But who knows? Maybe it works the other way for some people. So when, when you're looking at the curriculum map, I mean, do you link the lesson plans do, i mean is there some kind of a even a, you know a digital relationship between the curriculum maps and the lesson plans because i mean a, a, a traditionally and and you know everyone does things slightly different but you know i look at this as a grid system it's got content on it basically being like what's the topic you're doing what are the standards what are the goals how is that goal being assessed and then basically you have your list for what does it take to survive this and sometimes those are general sometimes those are vague sometimes those are like here's a bunch of links um i know you've got things a little bit more difficult but i mean it's very rare and i've been doing a lot of research on this for the book but it's very rare that i'm seeing curriculum maps that have both common core and ISTE or digital learning standards did, did you add both to your um maps we did. And, you know, it ties back to us being at the time, three of us were in the ISTE portfolio program. Ah. So when we were looking at the ISTE standards, we were like, oh, my God, this is what we want to do. This is our goal. You know, when we were assigned to rewrite the curriculum map. Yeah. So it just all fell into place. And our our standards are kind of all over the place for, again, the instructional resource piece. So. It was it was really nice to align them with align the standards that are all over the place with the ISTE standards because then we could just be like oh we're covering all of these with with this right so that's how we aligned them and would you say that a curriculum map is a, is a static thing or do you find that you're going back i mean you know the cliche term is living document i try not to use that term but i mean are you constantly adding to this or like hey we're done there it is on the shelf so ooh, here it is it's done on the shelf for the year we rewrite curriculum every summer we're gonna have a curriculum team again this july and we go over it and we look at we look at the things because here's the thing Sometimes things work and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we need to reorder things because this really didn't work. And instructional resource is exactly what it is. It's an instructional resource. So we might have had this fourth quarter, but the classroom teachers really need this tool taught by third quarter, right? So we have to be flexible. It's education. So we always go back and revamp it and make needs as necessary, change things that didn't work this year, add things that somebody may, may have tried that may not have been listed on our curriculum map. And you had asked earlier if we link into our curriculum map, we used to. Nope. And let me tell you what. Uh-oh. Personally, it was a hot mess express. Like <laughs> Links would get broken. Things would be... It was rough. So how we have it laid out now is pretty step-by-step. Step. It's almost got a lazy man's lesson plan in there, you know, where it's got enough to get you going, especially if you're a veteran in this topic and it's got topics for you, but we have all of our resources in our collaborative spaces. So in, 
and it's very organized. I'm sure it sounds like, oh, you put things in two places, but I promise you it's a purpose. So if it's more of a teacher use piece, it's in teams because as, as teachers in this group, we work our workspaces teams. If it's something that's forward facing for students, that's built in Canvas. So we might have lesson plans that are built out and we share those amongst the group in Canvas. Like why put it, why put it in the curriculum map if it's going to live in your LMS or in your team, you know, it's way easier to access and then share out with students that way, as opposed to here's a lesson plan. Now you have to take the time and create it in Canvas, or you have to take the time and create this when we're all working on the same thing. And do you find in your district um, that the teachers are making the majority of the resources or do you find that the, uh, I'll say the coaching staff or your administration, curricular office, whatever, are they making the resources to push down to the building? I mean, you got a lot of buildings. We're not going to say the school district, but I mean, there's a lot of buildings that you support. Obviously, one of the goals is everybody gets as close to a similar education as possible. So how right. much is pushed down to the classrooms and how much is the teacher? And there might be 45 teachers on a particular subject. I would imagine. How do you keep consistency? Well, consistency is very important here. <laughs> and, but it really depends on the content areas to be a hundred percent with you. Our group, for example, a lot of the teachers throughout the year make resources and share them in those spaces that I just told you about our curriculum team in the summer. We're very, very lucky. We'll get them for a full week and they'll build those resources. And again, that's, that's why we need the curriculum writing. This, this lesson didn't work. We're taking it out of the library, you know? So we tend to build a lot. They can take it and make their own for sure. But the framework, the skeleton, it's all there. If you wanted to roll with it tomorrow that way, you totally could. And there's a couple of other content areas that work that way, but you know, I would say it's probably a 50-50 split where at the district level they're making them or at the school level they're making making it. And it's not equitable in our instructional staffing at schools because not every school has a science coach. Not every school has a math coach. You know, so then at those schools it'll get passed on to the math point of contact or the science point of contact or department chairs, whatever. So it, it really does depart, depend on the department. Now, I know I'm asking a, a, a skewed question here a little bit. I know I'm asking a question of the <clears throat> ISTE certified educator, but why is it important on these curriculum maps to include both the core curricular and the digital learning standards? It's, it was our, and mm, Hold on a second. Let me reframe that. It has always been important to get students future ready, whatever that future is. Is it schooling? Is it workforce? Whatever. But in today's society, technology and digital learning is going to be a part of it. Oh, with the world of AI, I love AI. Phyllis is my chat GPT assistant, but with that, you need to understand digital literacy so that you don't get caught up in, in any kind of false narrative that is created online or generated online. You know, these are digital citizenship. Look at the world of social media. 
you need to understand good digital citizenship. What does it right. mean to be a good digital citizen? Coding is, well, now they're saying there won't be human coders in a couple of years with AI, but coding was a language that was really hitting the ground running there for quite some time in the professional world. And great if you could get into that. So, and multimedia, again, look at, look at the careers that are out there. You need to be able to build things and share your ideas out. And how are you going to do that with multimedia tools? So those are pretty much our four pillars. And I think that that's the best way that we can get students future ready is exposing them to those tools and building those backgrounds because the content comes with it. This comes with the content. They very easily intertwine, but these are also skills that you need for the future, regardless of what your future holds. Very well put. And I couldn't agree with you more. You know, we're trying to figure out right now why these documents are important. And I think a lot of coaches go into the, the tech coaching world, the instructional coach or digital learning world, or uh, what was your official title? I always said there's there's more ways to say the, 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 the title than there are actually people doing the title. What do you call it? What, what do you call the position? Digital innovation specialist. Digital innovation specialist. You know, there's so many different ways to handle this, and there's so many different ways to put all this stuff together. That is why we do this show each and every week. That's why we've been coming to you for the last 10 years, 245 episodes. And that's why we have a fantastic community of instructional coaches over on askthetechcoach.com. Hope you guys have a chance to check all that stuff out. Amber, you know, we've been talking for the last four weeks about the importance of putting digital and core curricular together. I hope anybody out there who's been listening to this has a chance to not only check out our previous episodes, but all the stuff that we're doing on this impact standards theme that we're going to be working on. We got a lot of great content coming out starting next week on additional chapters of this book. And I hope you guys have a chance to hit that like and subscribe button. Amber, where do we learn more about the great work that you're doing? How do we follow you guys? at Hinkle's Hinkle's Hangout on Twitter is where I'm the most active. <laughs> we are going to make sure that we have links to all the great stuff that Amber's doing and her bio and all that other wonderful stuff over on our show notes. Askthetechcoach.com, episode number 245. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope you guys had a great time. Don't forget to join us next Monday morning, each and every Monday. We are here every week for Ask the Tech Coach. So that wraps up this episode. And on behalf of Amber and everybody here in TeacherCast, my name is Jeff Bradbury. Reminding you guys to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. You've been listening to Ask the Tech Coach, hosted by Jeff Bradbury of the TeacherCast Educational Network. Please reach out to the show with all of your questions on Twitter at Ask the Tech Coach or online at www.askthetechcoach.com. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please take a moment to write a review in the App Store.